Hey, welcome to the Arfikt Podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On today's episode, we feature a conversation with Professor Selwa Mikdadi. Selwa works at NYU Abu Dhabi. She's an art historian and has been a curator for decades. This event was recorded over Zoom last Thursday. If you'd like to attend our events, feel free to go to afikra.com slash RSVP. We have three events a week. You can attend them. They're free. They're open to all. And the best part is you can ask your questions at the end. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you, everybody, for joining. My name is Mikey Amhenna. Thanks for joining this Afikra conversation. It is my honor to welcome our very special guest, Salwa Mikdadi. Salwa is an associate professor of the practice of art and history and the director of the Arab Center for the Study of Art at NYU Abu Dhabi. Her research focuses on modern and contemporary art of the Arab world, Arab art institutions, gender and politics and art, and museums and their visitors. Past positions include head of professional development program at the Abu Dhabi Tourism and Cultural Authority, head of arts and cultural program at the Emirates Foundation and co-founder and director of cultural and visual arts resource at ICWA, one of the first not-for-profit organizations dedicated to promoting Arab art in the U.S. Salwa has published many, many books and has curated many um, award-winning exhibitions. We are going to talk a lot about them. She has taught previously at Sorbonne Paris Abu Dhabi in art history and uh, museology program and is currently at NYU Abu Dhabi. Salwa, thank you so much for joining Africa Conversations. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, project. I'm really, really happy that you're here. You have a wealth of knowledge. We're hopefully going to be able to scratch the surface. But as my bio alluded to, you have been doing this work for quite some time. And so I'd like to zoom back in time um, and talk about some of the work that you were doing um, earlier in your career. So you uh, grew up in uh, between, I think you grew up in Jerusalem and you studied at AUB and then you moved to the States. Um, this is a quote that I have on the screen from an article in Bidun at their issue zero actually, where you talked about um, the moment in time when you went to the States and I'll read one of the quotes. Um, uh, you're referring to the moment in time when you started going to the States and you realize that, um, uh, that uh, you realize how very little the outside world knew about the Middle East and North Africa, the Arab peoples and their cultures. And th at that moment, you decided to attempt to humanize this vast region for strangers through the voices of artists. I'm curious how your mission may have changed over the years. I mean, this is how you felt in the 70s. Do you feel like this is still the work that you're doing? Uh, no, it has actually, that's a very good question because uh, you know sometimes you don't think about it yourself. So it's, I'm glad you're asking because I'm looking now at two bookends sort of the very beginning and my early work which was in a way I was new to the US. It was my first uh, ever visit in 1972. And I was uh, surprised by the ignorance about the rest of the world, not just this region. And uh, when we finally made the decision to, to remain in the US, we weren't able to go back to Lebanon. That's where we wanted initially to return. I decided I made it my mission to to uh, correct this, not necessarily respond to stereotype, but rather decided that I, I have a culture and uh, I am interested in art and I'm very proud of it. And it's sort of like paying taxes in the US. <laughs> you, in return, 
I, you know, I, I wasn't working, so I, I worked actually in the beginning, but I wasn't working in this field. I, uh, I had a background in food science, actually. I studied mm. agriculture and food science at AUB. My, the, uh, my, my mother at that time, a very wonderful practical woman and the professional decided that either medical school or she wouldn't pay for any other <laughs> study. So that kind of came into the fore, but I managed, she was right. I was able to find a job in the US that kind of uh, helped me this, uh, have, you know, take on this uh, venture. And at that time, so as I said, I was uh, introducing uh, knowledge that was lacking in the United States. And now it's very different. Now we're looking at um, the research uh, and, uh, and uh, decentering sort of the current research. So with the, and that's what the goal of the new center is, is to move both the research and the pedagogy beyond the established canons of art history. So in a way, I'm, I'm going back to the first uh, phase of my work in, with Arab art, but this time I'm looking at it from an academic uh, view and, uh, and saying oh, it's not enough to know about it and become familiar with it, but we also have to invest in how we study the art uh, history of this region. Uh, we need to focus more on investigating the histories of the art from the region and also to explore the theoretical perspectives and the debate that are particular to this region. So that's, that's the difference here, the perspective. So in the very beginning, it was barely a taste of what, what to come. And now we're in the thick of it, you know. In the... Yeah. Just before I move on, what made you... Uh make the jump from, you know, you studied food sciences, you studied agriculture, you're working in food sciences rather. Um, did you secretly have a passion for art? Uh, were you, you know, are you an artist yourself? Did you have a passion for curation? Were you always, did you always find yourselves in museums as a child? I mean, uh, not really. Uh, the, yes, maybe museums. My father introduced me to the very, my very first museum because he helped establish the very first museum in Kuwait. And that, uh, but what I was very lucky that my, I had ex extremely talented and resourceful friends of my parents. And when I was in a boarding school, I spent time uh, with Sophie Halabi, who was uh, yeah. one of the foremost artists in Jerusalem. She was a dear friend of my parents. And so when they went off to their work or appointments, she would take care of me. So, and then I ended up uh, staying in Jerusalem and she, I often visited her. And that was my very first introduction. And since then I have uh, sort of gravitated towards artists and learned a great deal about art from the artists. So my, Second uh, uh, artist that I worked with actually was, uh, uh, or, or uh, observed his work was Zalatimo in Jerusalem because his, do his daughter went, was my classmate. So it all kind of came together. Eventually when I went to study in Beirut, I, I knew Juman al Husseini, So I was a frequent visitor with Ismail Shamut mm -hmm. and I organized, I can't say even curated because I didn't even know what curation was at that time. So I organized 
the first exhibit on Palestinian art in Beirut in 1968. So it was early on, but I knew my mother refused to fund any of this private <laughs> to her work. <laughs> so, and, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this brings me to 1989, where you establish um, what is quite a, a landmark organization, I'd say, the International Council of Women in the Arts, ICWA, ECWA maybe. Um, can you talk about that moment in time? What, what led you to want to find this organization, um, what its mission was, and what you think it accomplished over the years? Well, um, well, in the very beginning, I was uh, continued organizing uh, smaller exhibitions for two or three artists that happened to come to the region, but I realized this is not enough. You have to provide a context. So uh, I organized the lecture series with the, uh, uh, all the writers and uh, thinkers from the region. So it was, uh, there was a lot of resources, but they were not pulled together. So I tried to do that, but it was clear I couldn't do this alone. So I saw two very dear friends and they became mentors who are uh, Professor Laura Nader, a well-known anthropologist, leading anthropologist at UC Berkeley, and Etel Adnan, the artist and writer. And uh, also another uh, friend who was helping us at that time, uh, uh, Lola Grace. So it was a wonderful group. We were a small group and, uh, and they were really my mentors. And, uh, and I admired both a great deal. So in answer to that question you had earlier. And so we started uh, thinking, how do we address this? How do we address the, the, the issue and I had to face a major challenge uh, with UC Berkeley. One of the professors there was convincing me that I should have an exhibit and they would publish my book if it will be at the Museum of Anthropology. But I said, why should a modern contemporary art be exhibited in the Museum of Anthropology while across the street there is a <laughs> full museum? So this is how it, be, it all started. And I said, either across the street from this museum in the regular mainstream art museum or no exhibit at all, not even the book. So I turned that offer down and, uh, and I spoke with the Professor Laura then, and we started this journey together, which uh, unfortunately we had to shut down the organization around 2006 after uh, so many years because we, we never received enough funding to run it as a viable nonprofit. So we were moving from one project to the next. So it was impossible for just us alone. And we were mostly volunteers. And we had a fantastic group of young people who were very excited about these projects in, from New York, from Chicago, Atlanta, and San Francisco who were very supportive. Do you feel like the, the book that I had on the last screen, Forces of Change, which came out of that, uh, that, uh, that organization, was it falling on deaf ears? Where, did you feel like there was enthusiasm about the work, um, enthusiasm about uh, people writing about it and thinking about it? What was the sort of response from the, the audience that you were speaking to? I think, there, as you know, in the US, it's a mixed audience. So we had yeah. the Arab 
Americans, and then we had the rest of the population. And I think there was a phenomenal interest and mm. appreciation for the exhibition. And it, I, I always thought that it could have kept going for many, many years. Uh, it was exhibited for over two years in, uh, in five states across the U.S. And, uh, and uh, as I said, the, the, the media coverage and uh, the comments we received were very favorable. But it was uh, for the Americans who, the, for them, this is many, for many of them, this was the very first time they see this work. Some thought it was an exception that it can't be that Arab women, all of them can produce work of this caliber. You chose just if the very few, the tip, <laughs> the top of the list. And I said, no, these are only in a, in a sample, sampling of a history. There is a whole history. So they're just taking the, the, the information out of context was one of the issues that challenges that I had faced in working in the US all along. Yeah. And uh, now, of course, it's another world. There is such major interest all of a sudden in the art of the Arab world. But we want this interest to be understood within the context uh, of the region from the perspective of the uh, within debates from the region, from the early modern period until today. And that's why the center is so important to continue this journey, but from... Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. We're going to get to the center in a second, but I want to talk about something that I didn't know you had done until I was um, researching for this uh, interview. You know, there's a, a line in your bio where it says that you wrote, quote, the reference guide on the history of the 20th century art of West Asia, North Africa, and Egypt for the Metropolitan Museum of the Art uh, of Art. And for me, I imagine that you know, I, I was telling you before the call, I don't remember a time before this history was included in these types of institutions. And so how did you pitch this idea? Did they come to you? Did they say, oh, you know, we don't have anything on art of the Arab world in North, North Africa? Yeah. I mean, how did this process happen? How did you work on it? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because actually uh, to their credit, they were the ones who approached me at mm. that time, and it was the Islamic art department that approached me to do, to write these pages. And they yeah. said, you can do them whichever way they wanted. There were no restrictions. Mm. And actually they had requested even more countries than I did. And I decided that's, that, that I can barely do these and that's my area, I can't be, go beyond. And so it was a great project, it was 2003 when they first approached mm -hmm. me. It took about a year to do that because this is, uh, the, I had to rely on primary document to get copyrights, they do it all correctly. And I'm sitting there in Berkeley, California, while uh, I have to call my nephew or my sister in Cairo, could you help me with this? I, I don't know how I could have done Cairo without her. And then the same with other countries. So it's one advantage of being Palestinian is your family spread out all over the place if there is any advantage. So you had, uh, you know, refugees all over who yeah. were in Morocco. I had family who helped me in Cairo, in Lebanon, in Palestine, in Kuwait. Yeah. So they, they helped me get these uh, copyrights uh, and uh, get the, all this. But so it was, a, a, and I had two young uh, 
students at that time uh, from the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area who also were volunteers and helped. We always had excellent volunteers. So I want to talk about the word curator for a second because I don't, I have to admit, I don't know what the word curator means. I, I mean, I know how it's used, but I, you're the person, perfect person to ask, what is the right definition for curator when talking about the art world? And does compiling a project like this for the Met, is this curation? Well, to some extent it is because I had to make a decision. When you curate, yeah. you can curate a, din a, a, a dinner and make a decision what you're gonna have on the menu. So select the dessert, you select the appetizer. So in yeah. a sense, you make that kind of a decision. And I felt this is such an important project. I didn't want to make decisions alone. So I did actually pass some of the information to some other and said, but this is too big. Why should you be doing this? I mean, there was always some hesitation on the part most of the time of other colleagues. You know, why are you doing this? So they, they felt it was a bit too much overwhelming to be able, yeah. and it is, it's a big responsibility because who do you select? So I selected Art 50, I think they were around over, slightly over 50, I can't remember now, artists as uh, examples of artists who were leading in different periods under different uh, types of work. So with yeah. the themes that you have seen, so it was thematic. Yeah, it was um, quite a, a project, yeah. The reason why I bring this up is because in one of your lectures, you mentioned the term, uh, I, I don't know if you said the ethics of curation or, you know, curators have ethics um, or the morality of curation. You said something along those lines and it really struck me as in, yeah. you know, like I said to myself, Mike, you don't even know what curation means. <laughs> what does the ethics of curation mean? So. Well, what what are what is the morality or ethics around uh, around curation in your line of work and how you know where do you bump up against those lines? Well, I think I mentioned that in relation to ethics of curating rather yeah. than well, the right word, but also going back to your earlier question, the curation means to to take care of in the sense of museums to be the keeper of the collection. That was the name the, or the title given to the person who was specialized within a certain period or certain types of art, and they were in charge of, his, of their collection to conserve, to research, and to preserve that collection. Uh, nowadays, a curator can be hopping across uh, art, between art fairs and biennales, and uh, can be contemporary art or even spend different periods. So, so more generalist in some ways, and some of course are very specialized. Yeah. And uh, in the sense when we mention ethics, it, it's looking at the, uh, the code of professional standards that is uh, that uh, as, uh, professionals, whether curators or art historians abide by. So what's the professional code? So the professional code states that if you are curating an exhibition, uh, it is not ethical to purchase art from those artists that you know eventually the price of their work will be doubled because they exhibited at the Met, for example, let's say you curated. Mm -hmm. And- uh, It's like insider trading. 
Yeah, or insider trading, letting <laughs> others know or sharing this information. So this is not uh, exactly that's uh, the reason. This is one example. There yeah. are examples that have to do with provenance and all other issues, and that are very spelled out in by associations such as the College Art Association, American Alliance of Museum, Museum Association. We need to have more of these associations, that type of professional association in the Arab world in order to establish standards for the profession. Amazing. So you have been, I want to move a little bit uh, more into some of the sort of subject matter. Um, you've uh, co-authored and published and been involved with many projects. Um, some of them are on the screen here. I'd love to start actually talking about um, the the book you, uh, you um, I, I believe you authored, I don't know that you didn't, I don't think you co-authored it, about the Syrian artist uh, Adia Zayat. Um, yeah. It, uh, Elias Zayat is an artist who I was unfamiliar, unfamiliar with before coming across your book. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about who he is and why you were inspired to write a book about him, about his work rather? Well, I, I have known Elias since the early 80s. I was, uh, uh, or mid 80s, I went to Syria and met him and uh, Fatih Limdarris, Mahmoud Hamad, and a number of other artists who were, were teaching actually at the University of Damascus and some of them working at the museum. Elias Zayat was very interesting for me because he was both an artist and a conservator as well as a professor of art, uh, as Fatih Mdaris and Hamad were and others at the university. So I met, I was doing the, the studio visits of Syrian artists and uh, saw his work and uh, we struck, we began talking and we, and then a few years later, he approached me to write uh, a book about his war. So he, it was actually, he, 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 want, he heard that I'm uh, in Abu Dhabi and contacted me and said, well, you know enough about my work. I said, well, not enough to write a book and I need to meet you. So we, I interviewed him over several uh, visits between Beirut and Dubai. And that's how this book came about. But I was interested also in icon paintings, yeah. in the not in the Syria, but especially those that were actually uh, in the churches of uh, northern Syria, uh, the what they call the uh, Syrian Church, Orthodox Church. So he introduced me to that to several uh, icon painters in the, Damascus. It was a very interesting. Uh, learning a great deal from him, especially he was very familiar with the material, with the chemistry of the paint because he was a learned conservation. Uh, in, uh, he studied in Bulgaria and Hungary. Yeah. Before the time, yes. And, and like a project like this, how much did you learn in the, pro or let me say it differently, how much were you surprised by what you learned throughout the process. Did you walk into this saying, okay, I, I basically know what I want to write about. I guess you asked me to write a book. I basically know what I want to write about. Or are you discovering stuff that is surprising you and sort of confounding you during the process? Well, actually we had something in common, Elias, and I, I, I'm a very, uh, one of my very favorite cities is Palmyra, Tedmur. And, mm -hmm. And it just, I have memories of my father visiting Tedmar when I was a young girl in Damascus. 
and uh, and uh, I had visited Tedmor several times, and he has done work actually in Tedmor as well, in conservation. And uh, he was inspired a great deal by the Greco-Roman uh, ruins there and by Zenobia. So there is a mix of the nice. uh, history within his work, which was very interested because I was very that that's where uh, drew me to his work as well. But I always wanted to write yet another book about him because for this book, it was, he said, don't write about that, write about this, you know? So I said, okay. So it was more or less a commissioned book and the, a book that he really wanted to uh, have done in a, uh, and include certain uh, information about his work. So we focus on the paintings more than the context as much as I wanted to. Okay, so there's going, there's a sequel, Elias Zayat, uh, Bigger and Better, part two. I hope so. I okay, hope. great. <laughs> um, I want to talk about some of the work that you did covering um, Arab American artists um, and, uh, and your interaction with the Arab American National Museum. Um, you've spent a, a good amount of time in the States what is the difference about what? What is your difference in technique or scope when you're thinking about Arab American artists versus artists working in the region today, or at the time? Well, uh, first of all, the artists I worked with were not all one type. I mean, of artists, uh, they come from different backgrounds. Some were uh, recent diaspora, what we refer to at that time, the diaspora. So some were there uh, from mid-century and some were later they arrived very recently somewhere in the U.S. temporarily uh, with or without a residency, wait, going to school. So there was a very variety of uh, types to work with. So there wasn't one homogeneous group to, uh, at that time. And this exhibition in particular was commissioned as an inaugural exhibition for the opening of the museum in 2005. So uh, I did, I did that, I have been uh, uh, trying to understand the, uh, the way the artists work uh, who were living here in the United States, I mean, for a long period of time, or there were this third or second or third generations. So within this group, there were very few of those. They were mostly recent immigrants or, mm. or even some students uh, who later on left the United States. So <clears throat> the choice was more about not the history of the, the artists, but looking at the diverse work and production and the, and the, the influences, how, what influenced them, for example, with the Reem Al-Qadi, uh, it, it, this is uh, her own photo photography manipulated of her uh, when she was a child. Uh, later on, she uh, gathered the, yeah, so it's a different kind of project. While with another artist, uh, Maryam Ghani, we commissioned the work that she did <coughs> in, in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, asking uh, different uh, sm uh, diverse groups, what makes you American? And then producing a video and uh, co and uh, this dialogue between the the visitors and uh, it okay. was yeah. I'm gonna try, there's so much to talk about. I, I don't think I'm gonna have time right now to talk about 
um, new vision, this project. I hope somebody in the chat asks about it, but I want to move on and talk a little bit about um, your work as an educator. Um, there are so many great lectures online. You are a, I, I would describe you as an educator first and foremost. Um, and most of your career has been about educating the public on this, this uh, work. Um, how do you see yourself? And uh, you know, over the years, do you feel like you have seen a change in your students' enthusiasm and base knowledge of Arab art? Yeah, I think what, uh, what is wonderful now and the advantage of now compared to 10 years ago even is access. There is more access to knowledge, uh, access like that Afikra provides actually uh, in, in the opportunity to meet all the uh, you know, researchers as well as others interested in, in, in uh, creating amazing, uh, fantastic work that we were discussing earlier. And so, uh, yeah, there are uh, differences in that sense. We have uh, access to internet and hopefully more primary documents will be available. Uh, while in the past, it was a struggle to be able to do field research and, uh, and be funded because the university did not truly encourage uh, PhD candidates to select this path of uh, specialization in Arab art. The advice was you'll never find a job to teach. And that's uh, when I was sometimes asked, is this true? And, uh, and clearly this is not true or they would discourage the students in the sense that there's no such thing as modern art of the Arab world. Uh, and so they were very much challenged and needed the support at that time. Yeah. So, but now it's very different, of course. So I have, I have a, a semantic question for you. I'm very curious about the placement of the word Arab in that subtext. Is the center Arab or is the art Arab? And why, because that seems like a very deliberate choice. Why is it the Arab center for the study of art? Well, they actually, there is a word that uh, that's missing here, which is oh, Al Maurit. Al Maurit came in later as okay. a name for the center. And the Arab center, because it's actually located in the Arab world, but it is about the Arab world because the description is clear that the focus is about the Arab world. And, and it, the Arab world's relationship uh, with countries in the region. I mean, the, these boundaries are all, uh, you know, artificial boundaries, many, many countries. And in the past, if we we're gonna go back to early modern and previous to that, these boundaries did not exist. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there was a, a, this uh, exchange of uh, knowledge through trade routes and uh, through, uh, you know, travel that all influence the development of art. And we can't, so there is this access to other uh, research that is being done now in East Africa or in West India uh, in relation to uh, the Gulf, for example, that we need to take into consideration. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, I'm going to move on to the quick Q&A because I know there's there are already two questions in the chat. I know there are going to be more. So let's do the quick Q&A. Um, what are you reading or watching right now? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm, I usually read two books at a time. 
I sometimes get tired of one and start with the other. So now in Arabic, I'm reading Abdul Khal. I love his writing and he's a Saudi Arabian art, uh, author. Uh, his, the book is called Qalat Hamida, Asatir Hijaziyya. It's a very light reading, but it's so, the, imag the imagination runs wild in this book. So I, I enjoy very much reading it. And it's really nighttime, bedtime stories, <laughs> but not for only children. So I'm enjoying that. And, but I've been reading it over several months. It's a very uh, thick book. And the other book is by uh, Asya Jabbar, So Vast the Prison. And uh, I, I for recently I was uh, <clears throat> I, uh, uh, the museum Sharjah Museum of Art is uh, organizing an exhibition for Bayya Mahiyuddin, and this and I she reminded me of Asia, so I picked the book up and started reading and uh, about Algeria, wonderful country. Fantastic. Um... Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Well, in the past, it would be my father. And Can I ask, at what age would you want to shadow him? Well, I wish he lived beyond. I mean, I was 13 when he passed away. Yeah. But I, I remember shadowing him, actually, uh, at times. He was a lot of fun. Uh, he was an educator and a historian. <clears throat> But for today, I would like to shadow my sister, who is an amazing woman. She's also an educator and has been uh, in education and still working full time, uh, puts in maybe 12 hours a day of work. And she's been at, in education now for, this is her 57th year. Wow. When you that question, I picked up a piece of paper and a pencil to figure out how many years she's, <laughs> and she's still at it. And she's older than me. Wow. I wouldn't like to hear that, but I don't think she's on. <laughs> she's working. Of course, she's not on. She yes, should take a break exactly. and get on the call. Exactly. She's <laughs> working. Huh? So I, I love to shadow her. She's so amazing. She's so organized. And wow. every time I shadow her, I learn her tricks to, to being so well organized and uh, runs two uh, private schools in Cairo, so the best in the country almost, I would say. Wow. Yeah, I'm very proud of her. Okay, I need to meet this person. Okay. Um, what do people most misunderstand about your work? I mean, more, more recently, it's the center, because people think now there is a, the center has been announced that we have cut the ribbon and walked into the center, but that's not how it works in academia. We've been, uh, I've been applied for the center, in 2017, we went through phases of internal review, external review, peer review. So we only recently got, uh, received the great news that it was finally accepted and we received the budget only November 1st. So we couldn't clearly start uh, acquiring archives, which are a major part of what this uh, re uh, center is about. And their archive is an essential tool for the research and for teaching art history. So, and, uh, and its potential contribution, to, of course, to the history of art of the Arab world, uh, we hope will fill in the gaps that we mentioned earlier in the yeah. study of art of this region. 
Fantastic. Okay, the last question is, who would, whose work do you admire or, or are inspired by? You mentioned your sister already, but maybe somebody else. Well, uh, actually, I always admired Professor Lauren Eder and Etel Adnan. And among the artists, I admire Mona Hatoum. She's one of my favorite. She is my favorite artist. Okay, great. Okay, let's open it up to the chat. Our first question comes from none other than Sultan. It's nice to see you guys. Hello from New York, where it's uh, I think negative five degrees. Oh. Um, Professor Salwa, my question is, uh, what was the tipping point in which you realized that all the hard work that you put, all the years, uh, all the challenges, finally uh, came through, that they finally started making a difference? What was that one tipping point where you thought, this is it, we're making a difference? When the center was approved. And November 1st. <laughs> I, have, I, have to, I have to hear say that it was be, uh, persons like you or individuals like you, you know, patrons of the art, supporters of the art, who helped make made, made it possible because we saw you, you, you convinced us of the importance of what we're doing, if you remember in that focus meeting. Fantastic. Okay, um, thanks, Sultan. We have one more, we have a couple more questions. Next is from Fatme. Let me ask you to unmute. Hi, uh, I just realized that uh, I had a typo, but my question is more about um, uh, representation and the role of the, the curator, right? So um, would you describe curators as the gatekeepers of artistic representation insofar as they are the ones who ultimately decide who or what gets gets displayed, and here I have a typo, and what does not, or who does not. Does that at all factor into what you call the ethics of curation, right? Yes, I think the ethics should also include sharing power with mm -hmm. the visitors. I think uh, empowering the visitor is very important for the, uh, the, uh, the experience overall. I mean, uh, there are assumptions that we make about what what in, what what the public should see or shouldn't see. Mm -hmm. It is not, uh, and it can get very dangerous. Uh, so we need to be balance all this out. I think in the planning of our exhibitions and the choice of curators and subjects. And major museums do have exhibition selection committees, so that or that also help. Uh, uh, the curators make these kinds of decisions. That's great, thank you. Great, thanks so much, Fatma. Um, Marianne? Um, I, it's a pleasure to listen to you and to know all the things that you've been doing. And I'm curious, uh, in multicultural discussions in the US, as they've been more in, uh, informing of both academia and art selection and music, museum curation, most often I notice that Arab culture is uh, kind of low on the list, but also I'm just curious what you think gets embraced more than others from Arab culture in multicultural discussions and which things are dismissed or I, I'd have to say rejected even. Well, I think uh, the intellectual history of the, this region is uh, dismissed. What is not published uh, in English doesn't exist. Uh, so there, there, there is a great deal that uh, the, uh, the West is missing 
about this region, which is evident in the mistakes they've been doing in their decisions in relation to this region. So it is not just knowing the artist, but knowing the context in which this art is produced and paying more attention to how it is uh, to their to to the uh, how it is re re conceived and received in this region as well. So I think uh, I don't know if this answers your question. Um, Diana. Voilà. Bonsoir. I wanted to, well, I was uh, typing the question and you answered part of it. I want you to, to answer. Who, who's your favorite, like, top three artists and why in your list? That, that's not fair. I already mentioned Mona Hatoum. I said Mona, yes. But who else do you consider, like, top, let's say top five? <laughs> I, I don't think this is a fair question. I mean, I answered that in the sense that I admire her, her work. Yeah, her work, but I prefer not to answer that. You can rephrase it if you want in different types of art or whatever. But all the all the artists I know, I I love I love their work in different ways, you know. And uh, I mentioned Muna in particular because it uh, kind of. Uh, touches me, there is emotionally as well. It's a very, you know, there's this emotive effect mm. that is important to me as well. I mean, uh, and also I have known her for so many years and followed her work and written about it. Okay, uh, one more question, can I do that? Sure, go for it. Uh, do you think there's a magical uh, recipes for a good uh, curator? Like what makes a good curator in your perspective? Research, research, and research. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Diana. Okay, we have um, Luisa up next. Luisa, just give me one second. Hi, good evening. Um, um, thank you very much. My question is about, obviously, uh, Professor, you have done so much to educate the West about Arab art, but how important do you think it is to bring Western art and global art to the region, exhibit it there to show practitioners and art students and inspire them the other way. Oh, very important. Very important. I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, looking at the region as a whole and also it is already being exhibited here. There are collections of European art that again found all over the Arab world. There are museums in Egypt dedicated to Impressionist and uh, European artists with collections that go back uh, almost now 80 years or more, and Sultan would know exact figures. So it is very important. You can um, I I my I specialize in art of the Arab world. That doesn't mean I don't I love Caravaggio. I love works of art uh, from other countries. I mean, we're not. Uh, the, the interview was about my work, and this is my specialization. But that doesn't limit my interest. So great. Uh, I have a question uh, before we go to Sahayla, just attached to this. Um, what other, um, what other um, regions do you think do a really, really good job of telling their story uh, on a global stage, uh, regional artwork, uh, regional sort of canon do a really good job of telling their story that um, you want your students to learn from and say, oh, take a look at, I don't know, uh, Latin American, uh, sort of the Latin American canon, they do a really good job of um, 
discussing and sort of representing their work. Are there other regions that do a, a, a really good job? Mm. It's an interesting question, and it can be responded. I can respond to it in different ways, but I would look. I would answer that the reception is then is important also. Yeah. It's not only how you present, but also how the work is received. It's, it goes both ways. I mean, there needs to be a curiosity, interest, and respect to other cultures also on both sides. As they answered earlier, that is their art of other countries in the Arab world. There is a great deal that you can visit Art Dubai or Sharjah Foundation for, uh, and uh, you will uh, see the kind of work that's being commissioned from all over uh, the globe. And uh, the same with Abu Dhabi and we have Louvre Abu Dhabi, the Universal Museum. I'm sure you heard about it. So. So I think uh, artists, uh, the, I mean, the question is a bit tricky, <laughs> I would say, because it is not only about curating, but also about, uh, there isn't one country, I can't say there is such generalized, it's difficult to generalize, but I can say this exhibition was a success. Yeah. And it's maybe not, but doesn't matter where it is, what part of the world it is. Okay, great. Uh, a fellow curator, Suhaila. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Hi Salwa. I'm mm -hmm. really happy to see you, even though it's just through, through a screen. Hopefully, we'll see each other in person soon. Um, my question was actually kind of triggered by you mentioning the Dubai exhibition that's being uh, prepared at the Sharjah Art Museum currently. And, you know, uh, of course, with someone like Bai, it's so difficult to place her art historically. And so I was wondering about this idea of um, research uh, methodology. And, uh, you know, especially in the early days when you were first kind of beginning to document a lot of these artists and also to advocate for them to be included into art museums, modern art museums. So um, how did you know to navigate um, the, the kind of methodological questions without falling back on established tropes, you know? I mean, was it kind of intuitive or like, and, and also how did you pitch it to those museums, right? If, if, for example, an artist doesn't necessarily or cannot necessarily be defined by something like impressionism or surrealism, like that wouldn't necessarily describe them um, accurately if we were to place them into those established boxes. Um, I'm curious, you know, because it's something that we're still kind of um, in many ways struggling with, right? We're kind of inventing <laughs> questions and methods as we go along. So I'm wondering, um, you know, if you had any insight into that. Well, uh, there are two ways to answer this excellent question. And I want to just share the the uh, fact that Suhaila Takish here is the co-curator, right, of the Bayya Mahyuddin exhibition, which will yeah, open with Ali Al very with the, yes, with the Ali Al Mullah opening uh, soon, right? Or uh, very soon. <laughs> hopefully, inshallah, yeah. hours practically. <laughs> at the, the art museum is a phenomenal exhibition. I really encourage you to visit it. It's, uh, not easy at these times to gather over 70 works of art. This is 
I mean, Bea would be very pleased because she asked me to curate a show for her or organize one in the United States at that time, but it, it didn't work out. We couldn't get the funding. So I am really, truly very happy that you're bringing her work to the attention. And your, your question is so important because we, we struggle with that. It's not easy. For example, when I traveled to Algeria to do research on the, uh, on, on the work of Baya, I, I, it, I didn't even have the funding. So it didn't have the, enough time to do that. And I am an Arab and I speak Arabic, but to me, it still was foreign uh, and uh, had to, uh, to, as I mentioned in the interview with you, that I needed to travel to the mountain region to meet the Kabilis, to see the relationship, meet Asia Jabbar in Paris, mm -hmm. uh, because she has written about her. So in preparation for my interview with Baya, I did a great deal of uh, uh, research to get to be able to go there. That's why sometimes I feel these summary ex uh, organized exhibitions so quickly, uh, they don't really give the right uh, uh, story about the art. In order to get it right, one has to go beyond the strict limits of these uh, categories. It's no more like that. It's it, it, I, I believe the research should be more open enough to, to invite other disciplines to be open, to look at the artwork from different angles and to study the history, the political history of the region. I mean, I can't see how that is possible without this. And Bayaz is of course famous because uh, of the attention she received from the French and in particular mm -hmm. Picasso and having exhibited in Paris. But as I mentioned in the interview, there are so many other artists who work within this style of work, which is referred to as self-taught art. I prefer not to use this naive art used by the French colonialists. And, uh, but there was a great deal of emphasis on that art uh, and less, of course, on the, uh, the, uh, the other artists. So yes, there, there needs to be more research done on Bayer. Yeah, there's not enough there yet. Thank Thanks, Aida. Um, okay, I think we can squeeze in two more. Uh, Badr? Hi, Professor. Thank you so much for this very interesting talk. I just wanted to ask what kind of motivates you to keep going. I see a lot of young professions, also myself, a young curator was trying, but always on the verge of quitting, whether it's finding the motivation, lack of motivation, lack of support, or practically lack of funding, or a, a healthy combination of all three. So what kept you going for all these years? I love my culture. I love the Arab culture. I enjoy reading Asatir Hijaziyeh, Abdukhal's book I was mentioning earlier. Because it's, it, 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 I mean, we, we have such an amazingly rich culture. There's not enough years in my lifetime to learn about it. So every time I uh, meet an artist, I, it opens a new door like Bea. It has a world of her own that she created. And uh, that keeps me going. It's, it excites me. It's a very exciting field and there's uh, so much more to learn. And I'm really looking forward to 
the to working with the center to establish it to uh, be able to create some kind of an archive that the artists, uh, the curators, and the researchers like you would be able to access and uh, and uh, be digitized. As, you know, the archive will be digitized. I didn't mention that. And this way, it'd be more open to research and future scholarship in the field. Great. Okay, we have one last question, Donna. If you can be quick, we can squeeze it in. Yeah. Um, hi, Salwa. Thanks very much for your talk and your important work. It's always uh, really great and very inspiring. Um, I guess maybe this is not the best question to end on because it's quite big, but just kind of dropping it in there. I'm just wondering what you think the effect is of having this center based at NYU Abu Dhabi rather than, say, a local Arab university. Well, it is an Arab center. And Abu Dhabi is uh, located here, and uh, it's an acad academic institution. I don't think uh, it. Uh, for me, it doesn't. It is important to be based in the Arab world, and so this center is based in Abu Dhabi, and uh, it's reaching out. Uh, the the advisory board are mostly from this region, and uh, the stakeholders. So it cannot be anywhere else because it has to be close to the archives, right? That we're collecting. And I, um, I think NYU Abu Dhabi is a fantastic uh, you know, venue for this center. First of all, the appreciation of the administration for this kind of uh, project and the value it brings to the university, to pedagogy in, part, in general. So it is not just focused on the research, but the link it makes to graduate research, uh, scholarship and the postgraduate studies we're planning for the masters in hopefully global art history. All this is gonna, there is gonna be synergy between the curriculum and this course and this center uh, and with the collaboration of other professors, the co-PIs I'm working with is Professor uh, Maida Bar, who's in social science, uh, and Professor Shamun Zamir, who brings in his uh, uh, collection he's been working on of vernacular photography. And so uh, it's a very rich uh, environment, and it's a very strong uh, in liberal art education university. So for us, it's a fantastic opportunity, and with uh, with the technology of NYU the offers, uh, we are able now to create this kind of archive that will be maintained and uh, for future generations. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Um, Salwa, we just crossed uh, the hour. Um, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I could, you know, we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. This was a huge privilege to be able to talk to you. Uh, and, and more than that, thank you for your work. Um, we are all richer because of it. And thank you to all of you for joining. This was really a really beautiful talk. Thank you very much for having me, Mikey. It was wonderful meeting you too and meeting the... Uh, I couldn't see everybody, but it was great questions. Thank you. Great to see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. 
You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. See you next time and stay curious.